Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, this is Anthony. And this is episode 329. Is crowdfunding killing board game expansions? We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Welcome everyone. We are back. And of course, especially for you new people out there who are listening for the very first time, we are Board Gamers Anonymous. We talk about the latest and the greatest in board gaming. And for our feature review this week, we will be talking about crowdfunding, or in particular, Kickstarter, and how that's affecting board gaming in general, especially expansions. So um, that will be our feature review. And it came up recently because uh, Polygon, Anthony, had a recent article kind of examining what Kickstarter and what all of crowdfunding has been doing in changing the industry that we kind of grew up with over the last eight years. Yeah, yeah. It was this uh, opinion piece over at Polygon by Charles Steele, just basically saying, you know, and we'll get into the specifics of it, but like crowdfunding is not what it was originally designed to be for board games. And it's kind of having a negative impact on a lot of things. So uh, a, a lot of it resonated with us. So we figured we'd talk about it, sure. kind of share our thoughts and maybe expand a little bit on what uh mr thiel says in his article but yeah i think it's worth talking about because that is more or less the board game industry right now you've got kickstarter and you've got asmoday so you gotta deal with one of them if you want board games yeah the two giant gravity wells of board gaming so yeah there's been a lot of changes over the last couple of years and we'll be talking about that in our future review and obviously something that's near and dear to me because i do love those expansions so <laughs> But before we get into that, Anthony, we want to talk about Board Gamers Anonymous. And over the last couple of months, we've been doing some really cool expansions. And we've talked about this all the time. We want to do more. And we're doing more. You've seen us out there everywhere. In fact, if you're watching on YouTube right now, you could see us live. You could actually see us do the podcast live, unedited, right there for you. 
which is something that a podcast named Board Gamers Anonymous would never have done previously. <laughs> so at the risk of our uh, our sanity, um, we've decided to kind of go live. Um, obviously, we recently had Twitch. We had BGA Live out there. And we were doing tremendous amounts of content out there with Board Game Arena, getting some of the latest and the greatest uh, games out there that we were able to stream to you. And, of course, we expanded in a number of different other ways, right? Tabletop Toys, our partners in bringing you more toys and games to the table. Um, that's up and, you know, doing huge on TikTok. And we are doing some other advancements. We're obviously revising and renovating the website. So you're going to see an even better website. I know you've heard from me before. I talk about how fantastic our website happens to be. Most times when people do podcasts, they just throw the episodes up there. This is a fully functional battle station of board gaming up there that Anthony put together. So we have a lot of stuff going on there, but what we need is some support from our audience out there. Now, so many of you have been fantastic supporting us on Patreon.com. Obviously, that money allows us to put the podcast out each and every week. And as we said, we've been doing this over for eight years. And again, it's thanks to everyone there. And so many of you out there, even if you're not supporting us on Patreon, you're supporting us in so many other ways. And you're supporting us just by listening. We really, really appreciate that. Because it would be really awkward if we did this and nobody was listening to it. <laughs> so uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing the podcast with other people. It makes my day a million times when I see someone mention us on social media because there's so many big social media um, outlets out there. And there's so many big podcast outlets out there. So every once in a while, someone posts about us and it just makes my day. But obviously, we could use a lot more help with that. And Anthony, maybe you could talk a little bit about social media, what we've done currently, and maybe what we could use with help for in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you follow us anywhere, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you see, like we do the questions of the week, we post our episodes, we put up the video content, update the website, all that stuff. Um, but we really want to be more active, mm -hmm. right? Because that's that's the fun part of all this is being out there and being able to engage with everybody and answer questions and be part of those conversations. But there's only two of us, you know, and, and we, this is a labor of love. You know, we, we're not doing this full time. We're not uh, making, uh, you know, this isn't our income, <laughs> you know, necessarily. So what we're hoping for is, you know, if anybody out there is interested, you know, drop us a line, of course, but we are looking for partners uh, who can help us to kind of help grow, engage, and, you know, nurture those relationships on social media. Um, so again, we run them on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, um, Board Game Geek, YouTube, all these places where we have accounts. Uh, it And we spread ourselves a little thin and we don't always get to be able to respond to people's questions or their comments or the conversations that are going on. And so if that's something you're interested in, if it's something you're already doing, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I'd love to get in there on your guys' behalf and just say that's a cool game or, you know, post a photo of whatever you've been playing lately, whatever it might be. Um, we'd love to hear from you because it's, sure. uh, you know, it's our opportunity to grow and reach more people. Um, and sure. we'd love to have more people on board to kind of help out in doing that. So, uh, you know, shoot us a message um, on any of those platforms <laughs> and um, yeah, we'll chat about what you can do, what you would be interested in. Uh, and, you know, we'll hopefully be able to take things to yet another level 
and, and not sure. bury ourselves too deeply in all the all the things that we're trying to get done, biting off more than we can chew, you know. Yeah, and from a personal note, I mean, Anthony and I, we we tend towards the introverted side of board gaming and just are not the most extroverted people in the world. And obviously doing the podcast, doing the Twitch, uh, doing this on YouTube, you know, does take effort and energy. And we want to do it because we want to connect to all the gamers out there that are listening. And we want to grow the communities and support the communities out there. Uh, But it does take a lot out. It takes a lot of time, money, effort, and energy to do that. So um, we do this for you and we want to kind of include you more. And hopefully you can help us kind of uh, spread the word a little bit because ironically, we still remain anonymous. (laughs) So whatever you could do to help us change that, because we've been around long enough to kind of, um, you know, show our show our strength, but uh, we're a little shy as as it happens to be. So again, thank you for your support. Always just sharing the podcast on every social media, letting people know that we exist is always very helpful. And as we talk about later today, because of crowdfunding, there's been a lot of changes in the industry. And since we are an independent podcast, and since we do independent reviews. We've never taken money for reviews. We've never taken money from, you know, companies about doing reviews or things like that. Um, we want to be able to continue to do so. So your support helps us immensely. And again, thank you so much for just listening. It does make our day. And uh, hopefully we'll get to see you soon in a, in a real location. <laughs> All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with us. But obviously, most important, what's going on with our listeners? So what's our question of the week? All right, question of the week this week is, what is a game for which you legitimately want a giant $300 3D version of? <laughs> uh, we, oh, we, no. <laughs> this question is, is in honor of 3D Catan, uh, which you talked about last week. And yep. It's ridiculous and stupid and too expensive, but people are going to buy it. So what else yes. did you all buy? What else are you going to throw money at? All right. Um, all right, AC says... Nothing ever except maybe Cloudspire, StarCraft, the board game, Scythe, Cloud Age. Uh, he listed a bunch of stuff there. I do find it funny because a few people did mention games like Cloudspire uh, or Scythe sure. or something like that. I'm like, those are pretty close already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you made it a fully 3D, like how much is that going to cost? But, you oh know, my God. go for it. <laughs> it's a board game industry. Just do it. Sure. Uh, Ryan mentioned Small World and Betrayal at House on the Hill. Small World already kind of did this. You have it. It's in your closet. So I don't know if we need that. Dude! Dude! I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Shh, don't go to my house. Uh, don't go to my house. Jesse mentions War of the Ring would be pretty cool. Uh, this one, this one's interesting because they have the limited editions and the anniversary editions, and they don't come with like 3D buildings or mountains or anything. Nope. But there are people on Board Game Geek who make them. I've purchased, yeah. I have the towers, for example, and like the mm-hmm. the Sauron's area, the Mordor kind of track. Mount Doom. Yeah, Mount Doom, sorry. Mm-hmm. And so you can make this, and it ends up costing a lot, but it's cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I will say that. That's <laughs> mine. Like, I would, I would pay, honestly, if they put something back up with the limited edition, but they're like, also now with 3D buildings. Like, oh my God, there's all the money. <laughs> <laughs> they'll hear you yeah please (laughs) hear me do it i want to give you the monies uh tom mentions terraforming mars oh wait just got that yeah yeah you did uh that one 
it, it's not too bad actually. I did get a chance to play it a couple weeks ago. It wasn't too bad. Um, okay. Martin mentions Mansions of Madness uh, as well as okay. Cthulhu: Death May Die, which which already Ooh. again that's it comes with the giant Cthulhu. <laughs> it's two hundred dollars. What are we talking about? Um, so yeah, it's it's funny because you know we're going to see a hundred more of these. But then when you ask sure. people, when you ask people what they'd want to see, they're like, "Oh, I don't know." Like, what? What about you? Like, other than Small World, what else would you like to see? Enormous and three dimensional, and it's super expensive. Well, I mean, I, I think the I think the general easy answer, or the I guess the classic answer, would be Castles of Burgundy because that has always had a poor, underserved, weak version of it. No disrespect, but it's always been really sad and weak. Um, and I, I would love to see a 3d version where those houses and those castles really popped because I think it fits, it fits, you know, it really, it's, it's about the different landscapes and territories that you build in that little land. So it's very much akin to a $300 Catan version of it. Right. Because you, when you put those things out there, they have the effects and they kind of, right. they kind of chain together, of course. Um, I guess on the magical side of it, and as you mentioned, it, it would certainly be way over $300 because I've seen people do the Twilight Imperium yes. where like there's literally like planets mm-hmm. like 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 hanging off the board. I'm just like, I want to play. <laughs> <laughs> like It's like some kids like science experiment with all the different different orbs out there. And I'm just like, oh, that's awesome. I would just I would just sit and stare at that like literally all day long. So. Yeah, I, I think a normal size, you know, Castles of Burgundy would certainly be the thing that I would pull the trigger on, even though it's like, I don't know, the 15th version I've played of it. But yeah, that would probably be it. How about you, Anthony? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's definitely like, like I said, War of the Ring would be great. I'd be all about that. Yeah. But on like, and then on the flip side of that, maybe like any Euro, because Euros yeah, in general, like most, true. you know, like your Rosenbergs and all those they can be beautiful and big and sprawling, but it's still cardboard sure. with like little wooden meeples on it. Right. So like if you just turn <laughs> like those 400 tiles into three dimensional tiles and it costs like a thousand dollars. Sure. But you do that. Then I might even be willing to play Agricola. I don't know. <laughs> like, Well, Agricola, Agricola, you can get the people, which is like a set, like individual family members. And it comes with a couple of cards. And I think it was like 25 bucks each. But I was just like, I almost pulled the trigger on that, and I was just like, ah, if I would, if I buy one set, I'll have to buy them all, right? And then I'm just, and now I've just spent like quadruple on the game, so I can't, I can't do that to myself. But um, no, I mean, I, I think we're there. <laughs> I think clearly we're there. Oh yeah. Or like you said, any any Euro, any Feld, any Uwe Rosenberg. I mean, that just, you know, I mean. Other than I guess Vitella Serta, because his stuff is so, especially especially with Eno Tools artwork, like I wouldn't want to touch that. Mm. I mean, I think that would probably be the only thing that I wouldn't want to touch because I think a lot of times you have such great artwork, and the way to kind of resolve that problem is doing standees, which in theory makes a lot of sense because the artwork is so good. But then a standee, I don't think ever really is good i i just i hate to say it except maybe king of tokyo maybe i don't know maybe king of tokyo you could have those 3d kaiju maybe that's something they could do for 300 dollars. but you know 
It's a dream. It's a dream. Yeah. That will eventually happen. Perchance to dream. <laughs> All right. So that's our question of the week. Again, our social media is up and active. And that question of the week goes up. So if you haven't hit us up already, please do. And again, hit us up with our next big question. And we'll uh, feature you on the podcast. All right, everyone. So that's what's going on with our listeners. Now, Anthony, let's get on to the games that we want at the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. Wait a minute. No. Yes. Let's not talk about acquisitions. No, no. <laughs> Cut the podcast. Cut it. Cut the podcast. No. 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 <laughs> I, was, I was like waiting for you to say something before we started recording. I'm like, maybe he didn't notice. I don't know. It's on the spreadsheet. <laughs> I put it there this morning. Uh, we're, ah. we're talking about the Isle of Cats, everybody. Don't forget the kittens. No! Yes! <laughs> I uh, forgot the kittens. Yes, <laughs> don't forget the kittens. Uh, so, brand new Kickstarter up on uh, Kickstarter now. It's running for like three more weeks. So you got all the time in the world. You can get all those cats. Get on it. Um, and so, <laughs> this is for expansions. There's three new expansions. There's Kittens and Beasts. There's a boat pack. And then a third expansion, To Be Decided. They haven't designed it yet, I guess. There's also a big box because that's just what we do now. We get big bricks that we put all our stuff in. Uh, so that is available. And then there is also the an explore and draw. So kind of like a roll and write type of thing, but drawing on the map. Um, and my favorite of all, just for you, Chris, I'm gonna I'm gonna get you one. The enamel pin collection. Oh, no. You get the little cat pins. <laughs> They're really cute. No. no. <laughs> oh, man. No. So, yeah, tons of expansions. And if you don't have the original stuff, you can get the veteran two. There's like eight pledges here, but there's a new arrival packs if you want to get everything together. So you can actually get the base game, the three new expansions, and the Kickstarter content from the first one for 90 pounds, which I guess is like 130-ish, 120, something like that. Um, mm -hmm. That's a lot of content. If you like Isle of Cats, I wouldn't necessarily drop $150 on Isle of Cats if you haven't played it before, but, you know, it's a good game. <laughs> I, I love it. Uh, so, new modules. <sighs> you got kittens. There's a kitten board now. You can pick those up when you go to the to the island. So, use your baskets to rescue kittens. There are beasts, like special magical beasts that you can find on the island, and these have to be matched up on your ship. Like, it has pictures of cats on the corners of the beast and you're trying to match them up so that they become friends so the beast becomes friends with the right kind of cats it's it's cute man um there's an event module so you can start throwing in different events that mess, mess up the game so that seems pretty cool uh there's rats little rat meeples uh <laughs> no. you're on a boat man there's gotta be rats on the boat right uh, there's a boat pack. I guess. Um, so you introduce six new boats, all of which have unique shapes and different layouts. So they're all compatible with pretty much everything. Like the four new modules are all compatible with all four versions of the game, except you can't use the event module in the family mode. But otherwise, everything works in everything. So that's that's pretty cool. It's all tested because like family mode is mm -hmm. easy mode to play with your kids, and it just sure. it works. Um, yeah. So that's. Isle of Cats, Big Box slash Kittens slash all the content, all the Isles of Cats, a drawing game. There's more expansions that, on top of the first expansions. That's four expansions plus the Big Box. You could be playing Isle of Cats for days, for weeks, just 
This could be your game. This could be the only game you play. Can you imagine, Chris? Can you imagine? No. No, not at all. I mean, I mean, nightmares do happen, of course, but that would be bad. Why, why, why? Why is this a thing? This does not need to be a thing. Can I we cancel Kickstarter? I don't know why you Enemy? Is it little too late? Cats, man. They're cute little kitties. Look at the... There's kittens, They're man. like... Giant the, eyes and little cute the, kittens. <laughs> <laughs> they're ridiculously colored, ridiculously shaped, and for some reason, they're on chips. How did all those things happen? That should not be a thing. I don't know. Someone had a weird dream. They wrote it in their journal, and they're like, that seems like a cool game. Who knows? <laughs> like, we should ask him. <laughs> uh yeah no all right okay i'll look at don't forget the kittens it's on kickstarter it is three more weeks yes <laughs> uh you can get all of the new all of the content again for like 99 pounds whatever that, whatever that is and then if you just want the new expansions it's like 43 so it's like 62 bucks for the three expansions not terrible <sighs> if you want the big box it's more that's like 100 bucks we started doing a talk me out of this Kickstarter. I don't think you would ever be able to talk me into that Kickstarter, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate your futility here. But uh, yeah. all right, that's a that's a thing that happened. Um, I acknowledge its existence. I have not played it, so I'm not saying it's a bad game. I'm just saying, yeah, it's crack- Cracker's kind of crazy at this point. So yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I want to talk about a game that is probably in some sense a little bit more of a family toy game experience than anything else. It's called Dive. This is a game that is coming out, should be at your local retailers or online retailers um, this year. And Dive has some really beautiful artwork and it has a really interesting idea for a game. So um, Dive is all about having these individual members of this tribe and in their rite of passage, they must dive deep into the ocean to retrieve the sacred stone for the village. So what we're looking at here is what might amount to be a kind of press your luck, kind of, you know, put your action points where you think things are. It kind of takes a next level because it's not just about um, pressing your luck, but you're actually looking at this one section of the ocean and the ocean's made up of these, kind of clear um, sheets and on each of these clear sheets, these kind of like plastic sheets is different elements of the ocean. So you have sharks, you have turtles, you have manta rays and things like that. And your job is to dive down and to capture, interact with these different sea creatures in order to gain more depth in this ocean. Um, so what happens is all of these different sheets are kind of stacked up into a thick stack and you get to look at it. You can't touch it, but you get to look down into the ocean just like as you would. And then you get to see all these different sea creatures that are living down there. And then you have to make a determination of how far you can go down into the ocean safely. And if you do interact with a shark, you have to figure out at what depth is that shark there so that you could avoid that shark. So it's a really interesting different take on all those kind of plastic insert cards. You know, like basically you're putting the things together like the Mystic Battles kind of thing or the Gloom. But this time they're large, they're thick, they're depicting the ocean, the ocean creatures. And it's kind of a really interesting press your luck where you're battling against other players or you're playing the game solo. It does have a really cool solo element to it as well. 
So using these transparent cards to dive down deep, uh, figure how far you can go, and then obviously manage the different sea creatures you come up with. It seems like a really fun, cool game for family, and it really utilizes that kind of toy mechanic at a bigger level that I've never seen before. We've seen the sleeving, we've seen the cards put together, but this is now the main part. And it's such a brilliant idea to have these kind of plastic, you know, giant sleeve cards actually be the ocean. So I really highly recommend checking it out. Artwork is beautiful, but the idea is brilliant. Cool. Yeah, it looks pretty. I, so, I don't know anything about it. I haven't heard of it. This is the first I'm hearing of it, but I, I do like the, yeah. the look and sound of it. Yeah, it's something different. And I think that's sometimes what's the best thing about board games. These are new designers out there, too. So, uh, yeah, definitely check it out. Um, again, you, you can pick it up everywhere and just great artwork. Great, great idea for a concept for a game. All right, so that's everything that we want to get to the table. Let's talk about the games that did get to the table, and we'll let you know if those games are a buy. And you should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play, you should sit down and play them. If those games are a todge, and you should avoid them at all costs. Or if those games are dreaded burn, so they should be buried down to the depths of the ocean and avoid at all costs. So, Anthony, what do you have up for us this week? All right, yeah. So I have a, you know, I, I was going to lead by saying it's a new Vitala Cerda game, but it's not really. It's a piece of an existing Vitala Cerda game that's been turned into a new game, and that is Mercado de Lisboa. So okay, this was on Kickstarter uh, last year, and it mm-hmm. essentially it takes the city building component of uh, Lisboa and it turns it into its own game. You know, the whole idea there being like you're placing tiles out into this grid and it activates based on the scoring tiles that are in the column or row in which you are, right? And that's the whole game now, except instead of, you know, clearing rubble and and building the city, you are building out cafes and restaurants and shops in Lisboa, modern-day Lisboa, right? Not 1600s Lisboa. Uh, So it's designed by uh, Julian Pombo and Vital Lacerda. And I, it's not immediately clear how much work Lacerda did on this other than, you know, developing the original mechanism. Um, but the two did work together before on CO2, Second Chance, on the solo mode for that, mm-hmm. as well as the solo mode for Lisboa. So they worked together before. And the game itself is very quick. Like, I got this in a while ago, and I just didn't get to the table. And then when I finally got to the table, I'm like, oh, that's like a 30-minute game. Like, I don't know why it took so long <laughs> to play this. <laughs> The rules are three pages long. It takes 30 minutes to play. Um, the basic idea, though, is... And if you haven't played Lisboa, you know, we'll, we'll make it obviously sure. pretty straightforward. But you are going to have uh, three stands in front of you. Um, these represent mm-hmm. different types of um, goods that you can sell. And on your turn, you are going to place a stand out or bring customers in. Right, so you have a few different options of what you can do on your turn, but those are basically it. Um, if you pull, there's like little round, um, I guess they're just restaurants that tokens that you can put on the board, or they they start on the board. If you cover one up, if you put a stand down where they are, you're going to take it back, and then those are like bonus tiles that you can place out on your turn instead. Right, so instead of placing a stand or a customer, you can place one of the uh, restaurants, and if you do that, those sure. will like make these stands worth more points. Um, there, and I say points, but it's all money, right? You're just trying to get the most money in the game. You spend the money as well um, as you place things. 
when you place a tile out and you can put it anywhere in the grid, like it's this big grid, um, you can put it anywhere mm -hmm. you want, but based on the number of tiles already in the row or column that you place it, you have to spend money. So at the beginning of the game, you're only spending one, maybe zero if you're lucky, uh, if you put it in a, you know unoccupied row. But if you place it in one that like already has four, you're going to pay like four money to place it. And early on, you don't necessarily have that much cash. When you bring a customer in, you're going to place the customer tile on the row or column of your choice. And then you'll look all the way across. And each customer has like the types of food they're looking for. So if they're looking for like mm -hmm. tomatoes and flowers, I guess it's not food, but they're looking for tomatoes and flowers. Uh, you look sure. across and anybody who has a tomato or flower stand in that row or column is going to score money for it. Uh, and it's going to be based on the number that are there and the number of people on the customer tile because they go from one, two, three, four, right? Uh, and that's basically it. Other people can score money on your turn if you place something that matches their stand, their stalls um, and they're going to be marked with your pieces. And you just go through and you do that until you hit the end game condition, which is whether you run out of stalls, mm -hmm. run out of customers, or run out of space on the board. And you see who has the most money. Simple as that. Uh, <laughs> it's quick. It's simple. Um, it's it's nice to look at. It's not Vital Lacerda artwork, obviously. It's <laughs> so uh, I think it's Pedro Soto. You mean? Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's it's still pretty. It's not like an ugly game. It just doesn't really match up with Lisboa. Uh, I like sure. it. I don't love it. It's a play for me. It's because it's. It takes that little one piece of a bigger game and it's a puzzly part. So you're trying to figure out the best way to put things out and, you know, maximize the value of what you're placing. Mm -hmm. But it's so quick. And especially with the higher player counts, you don't really get to place that many things uh, throughout the game mm -hmm. because the board doesn't change size. And so once, once you're out of space, sure. you're out of space. So it's fine. It's fun. It's, like a nice filler type of thing. It's not a huge box. It doesn't take long to set up. It takes five minutes to teach. The solo version is interesting, uh, if only because it has multiple different challenges. So it has different ways to play the game, it, like mix up the rules a little bit. Uh, sure. But yeah, I'm happy I backed it. I It's definitely not a buy. Like if I'd played it before the Kickstarter went up, I might have held off and waited to see maybe at a convention or something, uh, you know, in four years or whenever we do that. But <laughs> but I'm not unhappy either. I'm like, yeah, I have this. This is fine. I'll keep it. So it's a play. If you like, I don't even know what to compare it to. Because you can't say if you like Lisboa, you like Mercado de Lisboa. No, <laughs> this is like a 1.52 weight game tots. It's not Lisboa. Yeah. But it does have that mechanism. If you like that city part, the clearing the rubble and building things out, if you like that little part of the board, that's what this is. That's all this is. So there okay. you go. I, I, I'm, you know, I love Lisboa. It's been one of my favorite games of all time. It's been my number one favorite game of all time. One year. I, I kind of struggled with this as far as backing the Kickstarter or not. I, you know, Vitala Serta is almost a given. I didn't really feel Lisboa in, you know, going through this Kickstarter. So I didn't back it and I didn't like one or two elements of it either. And I again, like it's it's the struggle with the the game that you like, and then the game that's lighter, and then like do you, I guess if you really are pat so incredibly passionate, you want to own everything just because you want to own everything, right? But you know, as far as time is concerned, 
Like, if you want to play Lisboa, would you play Lisboa? I mean, like you said, this has got some of the elements. Does it scratch enough of the itch? Does it, does it, is it a gateway game that it would lead you into playing Lisboa? Is there something, what's the connection there? Where's, what's the one, two? Yeah, is there a one-two? There may not be. I don't think so. I, honestly, I feel like the conversation was probably something to the effect of, "Man, this side, this sideboard over here is pretty cool. We could probably just make a game out of this." Yeah, let's do that. Like, I don't think, sure. I think there would have to be another step in between because this, again, this is a two-weight game jumping up to a four-weight game. You could get a, yeah. a table of people and teach this game. It's it's an abstract strategy game effectively. Right. Yeah. And then you're jumping from that to Lisboa, like one of the heaviest games out there. <laughs> I don't, the relationship is purely sure. that one mechanic, um, which for people like me, where I'm like, yeah, I have a place for these abstract games. And I also have a place for the, this big, heavy monster of a game. Uh, I'm happy, sure. but a lot of people, you know, ratings are fine. It doesn't seem like people are just necessarily upset with it. I just, I don't sure. think there's really, the link there. If, if that's what they were going for, it didn't work. But I don't think that's necessarily what they were going for. Yeah, because you, you get games like the Founders of Gloomhaven, which is like, oh, I love Gloomhaven. Should I get the Founders of Gloomhaven? It's an abstract, lighter game. And just like, I don't like that when they do that. You know, like, it's just it's just a weird situation. So, right. you know, I, I look forward to playing it because, again, mm-hmm. I do love Los Boa, but I, I, I'm assuming I'm going to be eventually just disappointed overall yeah um with it but i don't know you know yeah i mean it's it's kind of like if you think about and it's not the same at all because patchwork's an amazing game but like uve rosenberg's like sure he's making a feast for odin which took him like five years or whatever and he's like ooh, polyomino sure. let's make a bunch of polyomino games <laughs> but he didn't call them like polyominoes of odin or something like it was a separate theme <laughs> and game you know <laughs> they didn't try to link the two. Well, it was only later when you played both games, you're like, "Oh, I see where you got this from." <laughs> like, Odin, Odin really needed a quilt, <laughs> and that's your job. You got to make a quilt for Odin because reasons. Yeah. I don't know why not. Yeah, if, he, right. if they eat money, why won't they get him a quilt while he's at it? Right. Sure. I mean that that makes sense. I I think that's a thing. All right. Well, let me talk to you about a Kickstarter that I. Did not back. I did. I did at one point talk about that on my acquisition disorders, um, because I was really interested in this game coming out from Genius Games. This is Genotype, a Mendelian genetics game. Um, so the idea, all and about this and about the history here is all about how um, <clears throat> in the 19th century these Augustan friars were able to break into modern genetics, understanding how it was that um, pea plants were able to be combined, spliced, and all the genes, how they came together, the dominant traits, the recessive traits. I mean, you basically and I basically, growing up as kids, we certainly came through with this at some point in our educational career. At some point in junior high school or even grammar school, we learned about the little square and how everything works. So I was able to actually pick the game up because I was going to back it on Kickstarter because for me, it seemed like more of a game game than what traditionally they had put out. Most of their other games were very smart and scientific, but it was more like an exploration into that scientific theory. This seemed to be more of a real game, but the Kickstarter for this was quite expensive and the 
extra bits that came along with it didn't seem to make or break the game supposedly. So basically in this game, what it comes down to, it's a worker placement game. And you have your little trowels because basically it's all about uh, dealing with the pea plants in this game. So throughout the game, you are taking actions in order to, again, this other mechanic here, which is um, contract completion, because you're trying to um, make the pea plant or help splice and put together the different genes and from the different pea plants, the dominant recessive genes, in order to meet that contract. So the pea plant might be tall, it might be purple, it might be yellow, what the kind of flower, all of that kind of stuff. So what it comes down to is you have your trials and those are your worker placements. And then you have two main areas of the board. One area is all about what will be the dice rolling. It'll be the genetics that are rolled. So the randomness, you know, comes into place. Think Dinosaur Island. So remember Dinosaur Island where you had you had to roll the different dice to get the different genes and that was what was available. Same thing happens here. What it does is something a little interesting because you're basically rolling a one to four and that relates to the square. So the Punnett square here, so you roll the one to four, you take a look at the dominant recessive genes and then you place the dice accordingly and that tells you exactly what's available. Is it a dominant T and a recessive T? Stuff like that. You place out your workers, hopefully to be able to get first pick of these different genes, hopefully to alter what these genes will be. So there's an action to actually alter what the outcome of those genes will be. Um, there's a second kind of second row, second chance to get those dice. And then once you kind of place your workers out there, at some point you'll pick up the genes and then you'll have an opportunity to, to kind of put them into play. And again, you're just trying to match up what's on your particular contract cards, your, your kind of what's required for those pea plants to be based upon what genetics are needed. There's another section of the board. This is where the game kind of gets a little more interesting and a little more weird and a little more broad because you'll also be able to complete those contracts by going to the university and just paying money and a worker. You'll also be able to pick up money and then pick up uh, assistance that will help you in the game, tools that will be able to help you again in the game, more different you know, plant contracts that will help you throughout the game. So there's a lot of ways to um, mitigate what might be either a bad dice roll or just maybe just kind of compensation to make the game a lot easier. So once you place your workers out there, you take the dice based upon where the workers are placed. Again, here comes the odd part. Even if you didn't place any workers whatsoever to get a first pick, or you didn't alter what the outcome of the dice would be, everyone gets to take dice until they can't take dice anymore. And you can't hate draft. So you have to take something that's usable for your plant contracts here. So the worker placement is almost kind of like unnecessary because you're going to be able to pull the dice regardless. Obviously, you won't have first pick, and somebody else might want the same die as you. What's interesting about the game is there are 20 different dice that are rolled, and there are four different colors of the dice going to four different areas. So no matter if you're playing a single solo player or you're playing up to four players, four plus, um, it's still the 20 dice. So there's always dice available to always complete your contract. There's five rounds to the game. 
once you have your dice, you're probably almost always going to be able to complete your contracts regardless. Then you go to, as I mentioned, there's a second area where you get to pick up all the extra stuff. You can pick up an extra worker, you can pick up assistants, you can pick up tools, plants, a whole bunch of other stuff. That makes the game even easier. So the challenge here for me is the game thematically makes a lot of sense. It really does follow. It's it's a worker placement game. It's a contract completion game. Um, it has that dice rolling like that Dinosaur Island has, which is really kind of cool. It teaches a little bit of science, but it's so obtuse. Like, again, it doesn't really compensate well with the player count. You're going to get dice to complete, so there's never any tension about, will I get dice? Maybe you won't get exactly what you need, but if you have enough plants out there, you're fine. Um, some of the worker cards are kind of broken a bit. There's one in particular that's very broken if you get it early. Um, money is key in this game, which again, doesn't fit really well with the theme. I mean, we're talking about, you know, monks here. They're not, they're not like research scientists in modern day that are paying people off to get, you know, genetic experiments done. So it plays really well with the theme and then it goes away from the theme to make the game so much easier for family members to play. The dice are helpful and they're cool, but at the same time, they're too easy um, there's a plant and a pull-up mechanic that is just kind of just should be a given. So I don't know. I'm really kind of torn with this game because it does so many things right for what it's trying to accomplish. And it is a kind of, I wouldn't say an entry-level worker placement game, but it is in that type, in that realm. It looks a lot harder than it is. It's a lot simpler as far as the game's concerned. Um, I'm hesitant to give this a rating, it's it's almost between a play and a dodge. <clears throat> I can't recommend this as a buy because it just doesn't play well at any particular player count. Uh, I think it's a fun, interesting game experience. And there is game mechanics here. So you could play this with gamer friends and go, oh, cool, that was a game. But again, it's one of those things where clearly like they had a really cool idea. And they decided to make it as simple as possible. And when they did that, they broke the game a bit. So um, for the science ability and for the thematic attempt here, it's a play. For the gamer gamer kind of thing, it gets a dodge. Just because it doesn't, it doesn't scale well. And it just tries too hard to be, um, or tries too hard to compensate every eventuality and even in dice rolling games sometimes the dice are not going to roll out your way and that's fine but here it's kind of rough that's a shame yeah it looked cool like i i, I had my eye yeah. on it when i was up honestly the, the dice put me off because i was like oh it's well if it's, if it's about mendelian genetics that's just dice rolling right which it sounds like that's what it is so i'm like i don't know like i like the idea of, of games about anything about science but like base genetics is it really is just a roll of the dice <laughs> sure it's a beautiful game and it does and it shows it off well uh, i don't think you needed the kickstarter version it just upgrades a couple of pieces but there is a runaway leader there is some there's some kind of broken elements to the game it's not so broken that it can't be played it's not so broken that it can't be played fair but player count who goes first runaway leader getting money early um, certain certain assistants are kind of more broken than others. Um, there are some elements of the game that need to be house ruled, 
I think if you house rule this game, it moves up to a play. Uh, and again, just maybe for the theme alone, it, it's kind of a play. Again, um, it does have a little bit of that element of, uh, you know, Dinosaur Island where the genetics are rolled in. But uh, the dice not, aren't as cool, but they're fun. They're fun. Right. So, all right. So those are the games that hit our table this week. Hopefully you enjoy, get these things out. Now on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about one of the things that's going on in our industry. And there's a lot of things that are going on in our industry these days. But having been in the board game industry for a while, um, and as Anthony was mentioned, reviewing the Polygon article about crowdfunding killing board game expansions, we want to take a look at that, take a step back, review what's going on in the industry, take a look at our history and see if that's actually the case in reference to this article. So, Anthony, you were mentioning the Polygon article, which is actually a really great article, because, again, these are the conversations that you and I have sometimes off mic right. that we probably should bring more to the table because we've been doing this for a long time now, and there has been some radical changes over the last several years that people who are just getting into board gaming may not even know that this was a thing back in the day where expansions came out long after the base game was out there and play tested and run through and everyone enjoyed it and they came out with something and it kind of brought the game back it was a different vibe back in the day right you remember those days when we used to play expansions <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's weird like to think about them dying off but they kind of are right because we talked about this before sure. like, there's two basic ways you get board games now and a bunch in between but like two big ones right there's the yeah. the mid the mega companies, so Asmodee and all of its various subsidiaries and Hasbro or whoever, like those big companies, and then everybody yeah. selling stuff on Kickstarter. And there's a very small number of companies in the middle who are still like slowly sliding towards Kickstarter or may get bought up by Asmodee, right? So it's just like the number sure. in the middle is getting smaller and smaller. But the way it used to be is, and the article points this out, you would release a game. And it's mm -hmm. not designed fully in a vacuum because you have playtesters and developers and everybody working on it, maybe 300, 400 playtests, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, it's the data is not that significant until it gets out there and like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people are playing the game. And then they're like, sure. Okay, well, this faction seems to win like every time, you know, and this map <laughs> seems a little yeah. broken over here or that. In this case, we always start in this location. Like Terraforming Mars, there's a very clear location you would always start. So their first yeah. expansion, new maps. Let's mix yeah. it up, right? Different locations. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's so that's how developers and designers would address it. You know, maybe they had sure. to strip something out of their game to get it published. It wasn't quite ready, and they're ready to put it back in. Or maybe the game was just not quite fully polished, and so they have a chance to go back and fix it. Like. Kingsburg is always a great example of that, where the original game is good, it's fine, but then you add the expansion on top of it, and you're like, oh, that's essential, and now the game's great, right? Because they address yeah. some of the gaps in the game. That's how it used to be. And <laughs> now it's not like that anymore. Yeah. Because of Kickstarter. And, expan and expansions were uh, uh, just a very much a big part of the hobby. You know, it wasn't like downloadable content. It wasn't just like a standard patch kind of situation. In some cases, yes. Some cases <laughs> it was, as Anthony was mentioning, like people played the game and recognized there were issues and then the expansion would come out and fix that. But expansions were 
I don't know. I mean, I felt always expansions were a celebration of the game. Like the game was so great that it necessitated an expansion. It just necessitated more content. They looked at the game and they decided, let's make it better. Let's bring more to the table. Let's add, you know, some other elements that we had, you know, hinted at or looked at or or players had talked about. And, I, you know, having done the podcast for so many years, I was obsessed with expansions. Yeah. Like the idea that there was like additional characters. How many additional characters could you have? I don't care. I want them all. And it was kind of this fun environment. And I used to joke on the podcast, like way back in the day was like, there was like, again, the board gamers anonymous kind of thing. Like I had to own all of the things. It was that completionist kind of idea that sometimes I would buy a game with a kick with an expansion. And that was always kind of mocked and joked upon because that is not a smart idea. Yeah. You don't buy an expansion while you buy the base game. That like people at game night would be like, "What is wrong with you? Let's play the base game and see if we want to buy the expansion, or let's play the base game and play it to death and then need an expansion." You know, uh, and all of or even let's play the base game and never buy the expansion. Maybe we just never feel like it needs expansion. All three of those were healthy habits, none of which I participated in because I bought the expansion. And then that kind of attitude and behavior became mainstream with Kickstarter. And as Anthony, like you're saying, like all the big companies who, again, because of Kickstarter and because of companies like Asmodee or CMON needed to package and release everything at the same time. And you either had to buy into the entire system or forget about it because the secondary market would kill you. Yeah. And that was a shame because there was a lot of innovations that were coming from Kickstarter. Now, this Polygon article points out some, but again, we could just go on for days about all and we've and we've actually talked about this on some of the podcasts, like essential expansions, you know, uh, expansions that saved certain games, the best version of a game, right? We talked about that on Ticket to Ride. Like these expansions came out over and over and eventually something was great. So the Polygon article points out in particular Battlestar Galactica, which is currently out of print, unfortunately, but it had multiple expansions and each expansion addressed a new dimension of the game. Now, if that would have came out now on Kickstarter, you wouldn't have gotten that. You would have gotten one vanilla flavor, but just kind of expanded to the end. There wouldn't have been the time to really cultivate exactly what you needed. Uh, the Polygon article also picks out um, King of Tokyo, which, again, very basic fr- family-friendly game. But when they came out with the power expansion, which was something me and you, Anthony, we all had talked about, like, wouldn't it be cool if these characters had their own innate powers and ability? And they did it. And it was great. And it really added so much to the game. But, again, that only came from having the game out there, you know, amongst the people playing the game, trying it out, figuring it out, and getting feedback. Kickstarter, for as good as it is on like getting people to feedback, you don't get to play the game. So what would you even know what to suggest as far as an expansion is concerned? So we have certainly lost the expansion situation as an upgrade, as a real upgrade, as a real celebration, as a real expansion, as a real different flavor, cultivated experience now everything's kind of packaged all at once and there's no time 
So everything has to come out all at once. The Polygon article also points out Bloodborne, the board game, which was, again, a lot like a lot of this other CMON games. It's like, hey, how many miniatures can we sell you? Right? Or any of the other games where it's just miniatures galore. And if you don't buy it now, you're going to be sorry because you'll never be able to afford it afterwards. Right. Yeah. And the problem with those, and there's so many of them, you know, and I think my tipping point was another CMON game that I went all in on. Oh, my God. Massive Darkness, where... Oh, like I like the idea of the game. I'm like, that's cool. The miniatures are great, and then they just they slowly pull and pull and pull and pull at you, yeah. and eventually you're like, I'm spending three hundred dollars. I've got fifteen boxes sitting here in front of me. I'm yeah. literally never going to play all this content. I'm just not going to do it. Right? I have sure eight or nine boxes full of Arcadia Quest stuff in my closet. Never going to get through all of it. It's just not going to happen. And, you know, to a certain degree, maybe you're collecting stuff. But at another point, you're just like, what is the point of buying all these? And then again, especially with like Massive Darkness, the game had issues that they addressed in the second edition. But then you had to pay $300 again to get the version that works. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm out. I'm out, 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 out. I can't do this anymore. You know, (laughs) Um, and I sold that off. And obviously, I've, I've backed plenty of things since then. But that's the challenge that comes up. Like you mentioned Bloodborne. I have a friend who bought all that and the game is fine. We played it. It was enjoyable, but there are some issues with it, you know, like it different yeah. player counts. It doesn't work quite as well as it does at like one or two players. And he's got 10 plus boxes up on the shelf, which he loves Bloodborne. So he's perfectly happy with it. But if I had backed that, <laughs> yeah. if I had backed that as someone who hasn't really played the video game or doesn't know it as well, I would be very yeah. frustrated right now. Cause I'm like, I'm never going to play all these. <laughs> so and like I said, I mean, expansions were an experience. It was a rarity. It was something you could bring to the table. And now you're bringing so much out. I mean, I, I think that's also part of the problem, too, is that, you know, you mentioned as far as the, the issues, as far as the game's concerned and how things are broken. I mean, that's almost a given because they they keep adding stretch goals and they're not play tested. And we know this. So then we get the stuff and we try to play with it. Now you're playing with all the stuff that hasn't been play tested and then your game experience is bad because you tried to play with all the stuff and most of it wasn't play tested. And now there's such a financial investment in it that it has to be good and that you have to love it. And then it has to be a great experience instead of spending $50 on it. Now it's $150 because you had to buy the expansions at the same time. And honestly, that really breaks my heart because there are so many games I wanted to back on Kickstarter, but because they do include the expansions to it you can't like i think it was freedom five which Mm -hmm. was the kind of the the recast of defenders of the realm but it was utilized in sentinels of the multiverse and i was backing that like i had a bid in i I was doing the whole thing and then they just kept adding stuff and like even the base game from the, the early reviews were like it's kind of iffy there's some problems here and then by the end of the campaign it was like 350 dollars plus whatever else shipping or whatever else came down to it. And I was like, I was fine at backing maybe $200 worth because I liked it that much, but I'm out. I, and I, it, yeah. again, it was one of those things where it's like, you know, you got to give me, a, you got to give gamers a chance to play the game. You got to give us a breath right. because the secondary market's going to kill us. You just got to release a base game. I understand there's, there's, you know, you want to get everyone to play it once 
You want to get your money all at once. You you want your investment with the marketing. I get all of that, but you're killing not only are you just killing expansions here, but you're killing the base game. You're just killing everything. It's right. just too much. It's too expensive. It's too soon, and then it's too expensive in the aftermarket, and it just makes us upset. I mean, it's just not. Yeah. It just breaks the system. It yep. breaks it. Well, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I. It, it reminds me of so like one of my favorite games of all time is Root, right? Which was on Kickstarter originally, sure. and then they ran a second Kickstarter for an expansion, and then they ran a third Kickstarter <laughs> for another expansion, and I've backed all of that, right? I have all that content. I have all the new content coming. But if they put all of those things into one Kickstarter up front and they said, all right, 300 bucks, you get all these little wooden yeah. animal meeples. No, I wouldn't have backed it. And I would have missed out on a lot of great content and one of my favorite games of all time. But because they made it so accessible to start, we're like, it's $60 or 80 if you want it with the first expansion. And I was like, yeah, sure. That's fine. That makes sense. I can do that. But the 300 bucks up yeah. front, like that. It, you're really just capturing the people who just like must have it all, right? Which was definitely me for yeah. a long time. And eventually you run out of space. You know, how much space do I have in my house right now devoted to boxes full of plastic I'm never going to play? And that's, and now that I'm moving, I'm finding them. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> sad. You know, and I, I think, you know, anybody who loves this industry like we do, we want the companies and the designers to make all the monies. We We don't have any ill will about them making all the monies it's just as gamers it becomes problematic and i think it does hurt their games and it does hurt the industry because if you want to get into games now it's not about a 50 dollar or 60 dollar and you know investment like you and i used to talk about that like oh it's a 50 or 60 dollar game well we can't you know necessarily quantify the amount of time and effort went into the mechanics so maybe it's worth it but now you know, it's a hundred dollars, it's 150, it's 200, it's 250, it's 300 for a game. And it's just, it's just like who in their right mind, who's getting into the hobby is dropping $300 on a game without ever playing the base game, you know? And then the other side of this too, for us is it's very hard for us to inform you if a game is good because we don't get copies of the base game to play to review. If we right. did, you might have more information on it to know if that that's a relatively good choice. So when a publisher is now producing a game or going to produce a game, instead of creating copies of the game and sending them out or, you know, have a small run or something like that, they're like, hey, this is this next great game from that next great designer you like. Isn't that awesome? Guess what? We don't have any physical copies. We haven't created a physical copy. Maybe we have one prototype in the office and that's all we have. And you have to decide with no reviews whether you're going to back it or not. And if you look on the Kickstarter page, sometimes they'll say reviews, but in fact, they're paid previews. And if they're paid previews, then they're paid to, to give a commercial about a game that they may have only had limited amounts of content or time to play through. So you're not getting an independent review. You're not getting multiple playthroughs. I remember back in the day, people used to yell if you played the game only four or five times before you gave a review. Now you're not even getting one review. Now you're not even getting one playthrough. You're getting a couple of commercials on their Kickstarter page and no other information. So you look at your favorite reviewers and they're being paid to preview the game and they're saying it's great. 
and you're just taking a chance and you're laying out two or three hundred dollars. And one of the other things too, with its crowdfunding, is you're laying out two, three hundred dollars for a game that may come out a year, two years, three years down the road. So it's a financial investment as well. So release base games. I'm just saying, please, dear God, <laughs> just release the base games. And then you could do the expansions. It was a wonderful, joyous system. And we love those expansions. We really did. I mean, we, we'll still collect them. We'll still buy them. But we want to have a chance to play them. And again, it's one of those situations where you do have these big companies that are so large and massive. It's that they make the decisions purely based upon you know that first purchase without thinking about growing the hobby. Everyone who has a $300 game in their collection like you mentioned, Anthony, that's not getting to the table or is only getting a part of the content is dragging them down. Cause you look at your, you know, you look at your shelf and you're like, what did I do? Like I have half of my shelves are covered with this thing that I kind of okay with the base game, but not, not enough that I'm going to drive into another 40 hours of a thing. I don't know. I mean, you get lucky sometimes with a Gloomhaven, but that's about it. I mean, ugh. And even Gloomhaven was a was a risk back in the day. So, right. um, so again, please release base games because I, I I do think it's it's kind of stifling the industry. It's it's shutting down a lot of gamers who want to get involved in board gaming. Um, the secondary market's insane. It puts a lot of pressure on people to buy. Otherwise, you have a lot of speculators out there who buy multiple copies to resell, and that's just not fun. You know, we're not we're not doing magic, people. There's a reason why we don't play Magic. <laughs> and it's that secondary market. So whatever you could do to help would be greatly appreciated. And uh, check out the Polygon article. We'll, we'll leave it in the description. All right, everyone. So that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you at sea at the table with our favorite expansions. Take care, everyone.